Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos Hagadol. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Yaldut al akir Shayarot levanot Chosrot mibet knezeh Vareach hazeh Shesoret li et Mitganev, mitganev Vepotach tlatot Matanot Shekhdor 
מתנות קטנות, שהוא שלח לי מתנות קטנות, רסיסים של כוונה, עיגולים של אמונה, מתנות קטנות, שהוא שלח לי מתנות קטנות, כמו הכוח לקבל את מה שאין, את מה שיש, מה עוד אפשר כבר Nera, 
בוא תבן העם הזה בדרך. אני הולך עם ראש למעלה, כל אחד הוא בן או בת של מלך. ככה היה, וככה זה גם עלה, יהודים נשמה בוערת. בכל מקום ובכל ארץ, לא רוצה שיהיה אחרת. יהודי אני, זה משהו נצחי. בני אברהם, יצחק ויעקב, בני שרה רבקה
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning, everybody. Leif Tahar from Volume 5 with L'Chad Odi. You heard Achtov done by Shlomo and Ami Cohen. Benny Friedman, Zivre Anochi, Kamu Baneha done by Yaakov Shweki. Micha Gamerman had the Pesach medley from Wadei Yisrael. Naranana, that was uh, David Gabay from Shirei Pinchas, Volume 2. Matanot Ktanot, Rami Kleinstein with that great hit. And, of course, Regesh with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. J.M. in the A.M. at 6.34 on a Friday. Erev Shabbos Agadol. Can you imagine? Monday night is the Seder. We begin the holiday of Pesach. And um, here we are in this Erev Shabbos Agadol with candle lighting at 7.07 on this Erev Shabbos. 7.07 is candle lighting time. As we get ready for the uh, final Shabbos before Pesach 5.7. Seven seven. Uh, next week, Monday, Erev Pesach, we're here. Thursday and Friday, Cholamoid, we're here. The following week, Wednesday, Isru Chag, we are here. And then we get back to a really normal schedule the next day uh, on that Thursday. So uh, a little bit of a choppy schedule for JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network over the next 10 days or so. And then back 
to a regular schedule, and I welcome all of you from around the world who are tuned in. Lots of news today, as you know, lots of news to analyze, lots of things to discuss. Malcolm Honeline, one hour from now, with the weekly update as we will explore everything that's going on, or we'll try to get to everything that's going on in this crazy world of ours. Uh, Malcolm Honeline will join us, and uh, we'll do the weekly update, and it should be a very interesting weekly update today, to say the least. So we'll have that for you coming up here at JM in the AM. And, of course, so we'll follow JMNAM today with an amazing schedule of great programming, including uh, the Kedem Erev Shabbos music mix, an unbelievable way to start your Shabbos or to go into your Shabbos on this Erev Shabbos Haggadol. Yerushalayim right now is at 62 degrees. Someone told me they had a windstorm uh, there last night uh, in Yerushalayim. Uh, here in the New York area, um... Well, as soon as <laughs> as soon as I have access to the information about the New York area, I'll pass it along to you, <laughs> and we'll see what we're expecting. <laughs> right now, um, right now, I can tell you that uh, we have 45 degrees here in New York. Expecting afternoon showers with a high of 51. Tomorrow, Shabbos Hagadol looks like a really nice day, 57 degrees. Sunday. Another nice day as we get closer and closer to the holiday with 63 degrees and sunny. So at least we've got uh, after today's uh, after this afternoon's rain, we should have some uh, good weather over the next couple of days in the New York area. Plenty more coming up. This is, of course, a JM and the AM Erev Shabbos. Rabbi Yudin will join us uh, Torah portion of the week later on. Uh, Malcolm Honeline, lots of news as we keep saying, lots of news uh, to discuss, many things to uh, to talk about. And we'll try to get to uh, everything here on a Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Uh, meanwhile, Gershon Verobo off of his brand new album at JM in the AM.
with the wise studs on a uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Haigadol, Menucha Vesimcha, the name of that selection. Uh, before that, Take Me Home, done by Ari Goldwag. Miami had Avada Mayinu from the Haggadah, Ani Yisrael from Gershon Veroba. Leif Tahar, that was Lecha Dodi from uh, volume number five. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, uh, Parshas Tzav. It is, in fact, Erev Shabbos Haigadol. Candlelighting at 7.07 in the New York area, 7.07 your official candlelighting time. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world in the web at NahumSingle.com, on the NahumSingle Network, and, of course, on our beloved NSN app. 45 degrees uh, in the New York area with afternoon showers and a high temperature of 51. Looks like a nice day tomorrow for Shabbos Agudal in this area. 62 right now in Yerushalayim, 45 here in New York City as we say good morning. At JM and the AM. Malcolm Holine, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, will join us coming up. He'll join us starting at 7.40 Eastern Time. Lots to talk about with what's in the news today, that's for sure. We'll get to all of that with Malcolm happening here at JM and the AM. Rabbi Yudin with the Shabbos HaGadol Drusha starting at about 8.15. We'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock. Naomi Nachman with an encore presentation of Table for Two at that time. And then the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix with an amazing live lunch by Mark Zamek. That goes all the way. The music mix goes all the way until 7.07, until candle lighting time. How do you like that? Galitzal in the background. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday. Erev Shabbos follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM and the Amp. על השעה שתיים, כאן רן יבנאי עם מה שקורה עכשיו. המתקפה האמריקנית על בסיס חיל האוויר הסורי. דיווחים ברוסיה כי מוסקבה תבטל את התיאום האווירי מול ארצות הברית בסוריה בעקבות הרס הבסיס, ממנו יצאה המתקפה הקימית על אידליב. כתבנו נתן אלדרשן. בקרמלין הודיעו כי יפסיקו לעדכן את וושינגטון על מבצעים אוויריים בסוריה והזהירו כי הדבר יגביר משמעותית את הסיכוי לחיכוכים בין צבא סוריה לבין חיל האוויר האמריקני. 
עוד הודיעו במשרד ההגנה של רוסיה כי אמצעי ההגנה האווירית ברחבי סוריה יתוגברו משמעותית. מוקדם יותר גינה נשיא רוסיה פוטין את תקיפת בסיסי חיל האוויר הסורי בחומס, וטען כי מדובר בעבירה על החוק הבינלאומי, אשר תפגע משמעותית ביחסי מוסקבה ווושינגטון. סוריה אומרת כי בהפצצה נהרגו כתשעה בני אדם ונגרם נזק רב לציוד. כתבנו ג'קי חוגי מוסר שבהודעת צבא אסד נאמר כי ארצות הברית הפכה בהתקפה לשותפה של ארגון דאעש. בחג הפסח יוטל סגר כללי על אזור יהודה ושומרון וייסגרו המעברים לרצועת עזה. כתבתנו בשטחים כרמל דנגור. הסגר החל ביום שני הקרוב, עשרה באפריל בחצות, ויוסר ביום שני הבא, שבעה עשר באפריל, באותה השעה. במהלך הסגר יותרו מעברים משטחי יהודה ושומרון לישראל רק במקרים הומניטריים, רפואיים וחריגים, ובכפוף לאישור מתאם פעולות הממשלה בשטחים. במהלך חג הפסח תיכנס מערכת הביטחון לכוננות מוגברת, מחשש לפעילות טרור. הסערה סביב מיכל האמוניה במפרץ חיפה, המדינה מבקשת לאפשר את מילוי המיכל לאחר שהשבוע ביקשה לדחות את ריקונו עד לתחילת יוני. כתבנו קובי מנדל. המדינה הודיעה הבוקר לבג"ץ שהיא בודקת כעת חלופות למכל האמוניה לאחר שמרבית המפעלים הצביעו על קשיים עתידיים ללא אספקת חומר הגלם. בד בבד ביקשה המדינה לאפשר הגעת אונייה עם אמוניה לנמל חיפה. עיריית חיפה הגיבה בזעם על הפנייה וקראה לממשלה לראות אל מול עיניה את ביטחונם של מיליון התושבים באזור ולחדול מהדאגה לבעלי ההון. מזג האוויר מחר מעונן חלקית ותורגש עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות. בתחילת השבוע עוד התחממות ואלה החדשות שעורך עמרי רחמימוב בהפקה מוריה טרטיאקוב. Thank you. 
Invite your family and your neighbors. It's now your time. Hey, God, in Bernay, 
J.M. and the A.M. of Shlomo Katz, Curry Bone. Before that eighth day, it's Shabbos now. 14 minutes after 7 o'clock. Good morning. It's J.M. and the A.M. Thanks for listening in from around the world. Much appreciated, everybody. Wishing everybody a wonderful holiday of Pesach. It begins Monday night. This is Erev Shabbos Agadol, of course. A weekly update coming up with Malcolm Honeline about a half hour from now. We'll start exploring the events of the week, and there are many events this week, that's for sure. 
So we'll do that coming up here at JM in the AM. And um, Rabbi Yudin, of course, has a Shabbos HaGadol Drusha prepared for us. We will uh, present uh, Rabbi Yudin his uh, his words regarding the uh, upcoming holiday at about 8.15 this morning here at JM in the AM. So make sure to be tuned in for that. And um, I thank you for listening. Thanks to all those who are commenting on the app. It's always great to see comments on the app from different places around the world. And... Um, If you have a request or something specific to tell us or you want us, want us to know where you're tuned in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you could use the uh, the app for that purpose. That would be uh, that would be fine. That would be wonderful. That would be great. Yeah, simple as that. JM in the AM, uh, one of the selections off of uh, Shire Pinchas, volume number two, is this David Lowy, you did nefesh for you right here at JM in the AM.
Peter and our soul. Sit sharp this Saturday of peace to all our brothers that we greet. Shabbat shalom, Likulam. Come sing with me one heart, one soul. This March, Oh
Shalshalis Jr. That's called Alenu. Ms. Marshir done by Arye Kunstler. You heard David Lowy in there with you. Did Nefesh off Shire Pinchas volume number two. Candle lighting at 7.07 here in New York on this era of Shabbos Hagadol Friday morning broadcast, JM in the AM. My name is Nachum Siegel. Good morning. Thanks for discovering the NSN app for those of you who have discovered it already. Uh, an amazing way to uh, take us along no matter where you are, including wherever you end up this Pesach. Holomoed. Uh, before Yontav, wherever you're traveling to, wherever you're going to be around the world, wherever hotel you're in, whatever home you're in, that NSN app comes in very handy. Amazing programming, 24 hours a day, and of course, uh, wonderful Pesach music all through the holidays. So keep that in mind as you travel around this world for the upcoming Yontav. 7.30 in the morning, Friday. Somebody came up with a really nice suggestion that we should play the Cantor Maisha Aisher Chad Gadya, the very, very famous Chad Gadya. In memory of Norman Laster and uh, the Neshama program, which uh, so many people enjoyed and had their Fridays enhanced with uh, each and every week for so many years. So in memory of Norman, uh, we'll do this. Chad Gadya, the great cantor, Maisha Aisher, on this Erev Shabbos Hagadol at JM in the AM. Chad Gadya, Chad Gadya, Chad Gadya, Chad Gadya,
Shabbos Nika 
J.M. in the A.M. That is uh, from Zevi Kaufman, Lachadodi. Uh, Malcolm Holmline coming up. We're going to do our weekly update in the next couple of minutes. I believe Matis Weingast is with us live via telephone. Matis, is that you? Uh, no, it's Miriam. Ah! I apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. That's actually Miriam Wallach on our phone line. But uh, I do have some amazing news, and that is that uh, I am leaving everybody in really capable and uh, good hands this coming uh this coming monday era of pesach Matt, this is that you <laughs> yes it is <laughs> <laughs> well there you go some of the amazing uh jmm staff members checking in this morning and uh the reason i asked Matis to join me is to thank him in advance uh we are leaving everybody in very capable hands this coming monday era of pesach you know era of pesach is not a uh is not a show to be taken lightly, Matis. It is a. Um, I know. It is a very. Um, it's a historic show, including the. Uh, the amazing seum that Derby Goldwasser does each and every year in commemoration of Tanis Bechorim. It's an important show to remind everybody uh, to when they can eat chametz and uh, when they have to burn their chametz and things like that, and other uh, pre-yuntif reminders. And um, although, of course, anybody. From our staff, who would have uh, done Monday's show, would be uh, "quote unquote" capable hands. We are very happy to announce that both Sunday and Monday, Sunday on JM Sunday between seven and nine, and Monday Erev Pesach between six and nine, Matis Weingast will be at the helm and taking over here at JM in the AM. So I thank you in advance. Want to wish you a chag kasher v'sameach. Thank you to you and your family. Also, it will be a pleasure to uh, entertain the folks. <laughs> thank you very much. And um, this will be Sunday. Will be what your uh, 400th consecutive Sunday doing uh, JM Sunday, something like that. It's a lot. 238, I, I believe. Pretty amazing, Matis. It's an incre- okay. incredible record and a tremendous uh, show of longevity and commitment. And we really appreciate that. So thank you so much. So, You're welcome. So Matis Weingast Sunday with JM Sunday between seven and nine. Tune in. It's going to be live as it always is. Monday he'll be live between six and nine. And Rabbi Goldwasser is scheduled to join him at some point in the 7 o'clock hour, usually early on in the 7 o'clock hour for the Seum in commemoration of Tanis Bechorim. And uh, in addition to that, obviously, he'll have all the Arab Pesach music and get everybody set. Because the next time we'll, the, the, people will hear from us will be Thursday Cholamoid. So it's going to be quite a break. So. Right. So there you have it. So Tadarabah, Matijau. 
Anytime. Happy. You are welcome. Have a uh, good Shabbos and a Chakosher Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom, Chakosher V'Sameach. There he is, Matas Yes, He'll be coming up Sunday and Monday here at JM in the AM. Malcolm Honeline is coming up next. It's the weekly update with a lot's going on this week, to say the least. We'll speak with him coming up at JM in the AM.
JM in the AM. That's the Moshav Band. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, always enthusiastically recommending us to their hundreds of thousands of readers, and it's much appreciated. We do have an amazing network, I must say. Big thank you to OnlySimchas.com and Achai Kasher to them as well as uh, they continue to utilize a lot of our content for their news feed. They do Simchas, a lot of Simchas as we know, but they also do an incredible amount of news, including a lot of great uh, good news out there. And they utilize a lot of our content. It's much appreciated. Go to OnlySimchas.com. Go to OnlySimchas.com and um, enjoy their daily presentation and their daily news feed. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Yeah, it's good to be with you on this Erev Shabbos Haggadol. Oh yes, Erev Shabbos Haggadol is right, and Rabbi Yudin will have plenty to say coming up on that topic, and uh, we have plenty to do uh, in terms of the news of the day. We've been discussing all morning and alluding to uh, what has happened uh, overnight, and uh, we know about the airstrike that President Trump called for that the United States military has executed at this point. Uh, was this the proper response by the United States to the events in Syria this week? I do think it was an appropriate response. I think it was a necessary response that the president could not have allowed this act to go unanswered. It, it, and it's not the first time that they've used it. The difference, I think, this time is that uh, both the scale and the fact that the it was near the Turkish border, and the Turks allowed the media to go in and cover it and show the results of this of this horrific uh, chemical weapon and how the kind of agonizing deaths and, and injuries that it causes. I think that the uh, message to the region, the message to the Iranians, the message to the Syrians, and even to the Russians is a very important one. Uh, I, I hope that they have a broader plan in mind. I hope that they've thought about the next steps and, and the consequences. Um, but doing it with the missiles so that there were no American planes involved, having given the Rus- Russians advance notice, um, I think overall it was a, an important uh, decision. And uh, a time to come to terms with what you want to see emerge out of uh, the situation in Syria, just to allow the Iranians and Russians to keep the, their puppet in place and things remain as, as the Iranians consolidate their hold, something you know that we've talked about here yeah. consistently. Uh, sorry, you alluded to a couple of things. First of all, so so because of the media attention this time, it became much more well-known around the world, both the news of the attack and the, the aftermath of the results, so to speak, the, the horrific results of the attack. So, so you're you're telling us that this, this happens more often than we think or or, or has happened too many times where it's been ignored or ignored to you know to a degree right i think the latter but it's not just that there are reports there were reports earlier people have have given anecdotal evidence but here the video this video and when people see it and there's horrendous sights that uh, frankly i couldn't even watch um that really is it makes a big difference when did he decide to do this do you think it was only minutes after this attack that the president said we must uh, jump into action and uh, and 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 uh, and do something well i don't know that he could have decided that it should be tomahawks from uh, boats off our coast ships off the, the coast of uh, syria but uh, i think that there are, are always contingency plans in place but the security cab- cabinet met 
and I guess made the recommendation to the president, and he authorized it. No question that Russia knew about it in advance, that they were informed? Right, yes. Um, and um, I would guess there are a handful of other countries that were informed in advance. It may well be that they were given notice before it took place, but in the case of Russians, the goal was to avoid hitting any Russian um, pilots or personnel, and as well as uh, Russian planes. There aren't that many there, and this is a Syrian military base. It's not inside right. the city. It's a military base, uh, but it's the one from which the, the planes were launched that carried the uh, chemical weapons, and that's but, why it was targeted. But with, the, uh, but with, the, uh, well, with whatever level of Russian you know, presence or involvement there is there, is, is there a case to lay some blame at Russian authorities that it's likely that they knew about this attack or knew that it was about to happen? I mean, to what degree should we assume that, uh, I don't know, Vladimir Putin or anybody else you know, along the line knew that this was going to occur? I don't think that they authorized the use of chemical weapons. I don't even know if Assad authorized it. Uh, it would certainly raise questions about the judgment uh, of who gave the okay for this to be used. They can't acknowledge it, so they can't prosecute. They can quietly uh, deal with it, the Syrian army within Syria. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is an intimidation weapon. This is this is a weapon that I think Assad, after having been told just the day before that, and, and statements coming from Washington, statements coming from other places that, you know, we're leaving in place, we don't want to do regime change. I think Nikki Haley, others were involved in making statements uh, about it. Um, so maybe he felt that he had a license, that he was secure, that, that whatever reaction wouldn't be severe, and that this he, he knows the power of this weapon. The Russians are very reluctant because they suffered a lot from chemical weapons. So I, I think pub, in public opinion would not sit well in Russia if they thought that the Russian government had, had authorized the, the use of this weapon. I don't think anywhere would it sit well uh, where they had been involved. The Iranians are known to use pretty extreme measures, certainly Hezbollah and some of the other terrorist organizations, but this had to be um, uh, involving the Syrian Air Force, which means tra- traces back to the Syrian government. Right. And the level, how high it goes up, I don't know if we'll ever know. And the, and that area was targeted because that area is held by rebels and essentially enemy of the current government, right? Right. All right. Um, uh, you mentioned a Russian particular sensitivity to chemical weapons and the reason for it. Uh, interesting. Uh, there's certainly a Jewish uh, sensitivity toward gas and chemical weapons, to say the least. And I would say that this attack uh, affected our community uh, it, 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 tremendously in terms of the uh, the aftermath and, pe- and watching people in our community watch what was going on there. Curious, then, what the reaction was from Israel. Anything more than the usual condemnation? Well, the prime minister supported uh, the president's action, along with, I think, Canada and England. I'm not sure too many others have come out. Only, uh, I know Russia and Iran have come out in condemnation. And if you want to choose a side to be on, I think it's pretty clear uh, which side we should be on. Yeah, well, I was referring to combination of the chemical attack, right? Right, and, and but they, I don't think they had any advance warning, and they, the Israeli reaction was very strong across the board. The prime minister, the president, the members of Knesset, and many called for right. action to be taken. You know that Israel, obviously, has been very involved, and they're very worried about the use of such weapons because mm-hmm. they can be transported on a missile uh, head or by plane to, to Israel as well. And they've been threatened with them before. <laughs> and he, they have threatened them with the use of it. In the right. meantime, Israel is 
treating the people. You know that that now they've surpassed 3,000 Syrians who have come to Israeli hospitals for treatment, who've been brought in under the circumstances I've described before, so I won't do it again. But when you go there in the middle of the night, you're standing in the cold, and you see these young soldiers going into Syria to take out uh, even adults, not just children who who were victims of of attacks or were very sick and couldn't get treatment. Some of them were in Israeli hospitals for extended stays and at no cost. And this is, uh, you know, it's put a tremendous burden both on the medical facilities but also on, on the government. So... Israel, I think, has demonstrated uh, that it, it, it not only does it respond in word, it responds in deed. Oh, no question about that. And in this, in this case also, because I saw there was, there, there was somewhat of, of conflicting reports whether Israel would be able to help uh, infants and others who are victims of this specific attack. Yeah, well, it's a problem of transporting them from there. Uh, and, you know, many times... And Syrians that I met had traveled, but they were able, especially when there was a child involved or something, so they went under the guise of visiting relatives. They're not allowed to legally go. This has to be done surreptitiously. But you can't, I think, move these people. You need a doctor really to tell us. But I think that I've heard and read that uh, transporting them was not a prospect. Um, uh, one would think the Arab states, using the word collectively for a moment, the term collectively for a moment, uh, w- would be thrilled with this U.S. action. Any reason to believe that they are not? Oh, I have every reason to believe that this is exactly what they've been waiting for. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet with President Sisi in Washington uh, with a group this, this week. And uh, if you look what King Abdullah said as well, uh, this is something they've been looking for. They want America to re-engage. They want to see strength. And in fact, uh, many of them cited, many others in the region cited the the uh, catalyst for all of this was when, uh, under President Obama, the decision was made not to fire, and we turned our guns around after the violation, the clear violation of the red line he established on the use of chemical weapons, right. and that that was the signal to Putin to go into Crimea. This was, you know, that that America would not act with resolve, and this. Tells, tells them at least they are hoping that this is a sign that America is reengaging. Yeah, uh, the analysis that that's uh, the headline of the Jerusalem Post right now coincidentally says Trump's strike on Syria makes it clear the Americans are back, and that's what you're referring to, of course. Um, and many people fear that this could escalate, to turn into I don't know an all-out whatever battle war and whatever other term you want to use. But we know from history that often attacks like this prevent further action and further war. Do you think Assad could remain quiet? And along with the Russians, you know, sort of let this time pass without any either retaliation or anything that would heat things up? Well, we saw it when Israel hit and they came out with very boisterous statements and threats. But I think that Iran, when we fired back at the, their little ships that were harassing our boats and our, our destroyers and uh, military uh, uh, vessels in, in the Straits of Hormuz and other places, and when we struck back, they did nothing. And this is something we tried to talk to the previous administration about over and over again, is that they keep testing for weakness. And where they meet restraint, they will back off. Where they see that they meet strength, and not restraint, I should say, then then they respond in time, not by acting, but by pulling back. And, and it, you know, terrorists probe for weakness all the time and exploit it. And that's why I think that the 
you know, you may see some response, some sort of action. could be sanctions, something else that, that Russia does. You might see some actions uh, on the ground, but very limited. And they have no American targets really to hit. We have uh, very limited resources on the ground. Yeah, but there's always some form of retaliation. I mean, I don't want to... Not always. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, terror attacks, kidnappings. I mean, there, there, are, there are options for, you know... For, for those who want to retaliate against America to, to make a statement and do so. But um, one of them, in fact, might be a U.N. resolution against the United States. That's probably not going to happen, right? No, I don't think we have to worry about that. <laughs> I think, first of all, it would be vetoed by the U.S. If not, I think Britain and others would certainly uh, gang up in the same way that Russia prevented uh, a resolution of condemnation of, of Syria in the Security Council, Russia and China. So for those of us who are and frustrated... And have to think about the implications for the visit of the president to China, who's here, right. and an ally who considers himself certainly an ally of Russia, but also probably of, of Assad. Does that add to the timing of the whole episode? The fact that No. Not at all. Coincidental. Totally coincidental. Right. Um, uh, back to the UN for a second. So those of us who are, who've been frustrated that there was no official UN resolution, the, the ones to be frustrated are at all... At, are the Russians because they're the ones who vetoed it and, and nothing would move further without their approval. That's the one we should be angry at. Our, right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> Trying not to call attention to my inabilities to speak, and you have to go ahead and do that. So, uh, and, and in terms of the type, I mean, are, are there, in, I, I know I sound ignorant on this, but I am, uh, are, are there that many levels or types of chemical gases that this one is you know, considered you know, so lethal compared to others like the fact they use this one right sarin right in fact you know shows a a different level of of engagement a different level of what they were trying to accomplish yes i do think that, that this crosses another red line the fact that sarin which is really horrific and kills and um uh, so yes that that is considered a, a, another level that the crime is the same if you use chemical weapons, that's against international law. But this um, was, was, in fact, um, they now found the traces of the sarin gas. Right. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world and the web at NahumSiegel.com on the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on our beloved NSN app. All right, we'll bounce around and uh, likely get back to Syria at some point. So in the meeting with uh, President Sisi, did he mention anything to you about a summer summit where the U.S. would in fact sponsor some type of Mideast peace summit over the next few months and to try to make progress in terms of a deal between the PA and Israel? No, he did not. He did talk about the desire to have peace. He, he made references to it, but it was obviously not a uh, priority. He talked about all of the situations in the region and frankly answered uh, questions very fully and uh, when he wanted to. Uh, the the um, obviously very concerned about the outcome of Syria and what conflict there, what happens in Libya. Um, talked about Gaza. Talked about the Palestinians and and his hope that something can move forward. But to say that this was uh, that the summit was major emphasis, and I think that people are backing off, starting to back off at least from what I see uh, from that because well, that's that, that takes quick. a lot of preparation and it takes a lot of work to be able to do that. Yeah, but that's pretty fast. Was it, didn't the president just discuss it with him this week? Yes, but this is something I obviously that, uh, may, or I shouldn't say obviously, but perhaps had been under discussion right. earlier. And it, it may have been just an idea that, that was thought about in Washington and then brought 
to them, and King Abdullah was there, and as you know, the Saudis were here earlier, and, and there were hints at you know, the possibility of a summit of the U.S. re-engaging. But to do that, you have to really be prepared. You have to uh, have the ducks in place. You can't just have an exploratory meeting again, or it would end up like the Madrid meeting and others in the past that, you know, were, were we, we have to know what's going to come out of it before you sit down to it. Well, some might actually say the Madrid meeting was, was fruitful, but uh, whatever. I guess we could argue that. Um, uh, why, uh, why is there, according to an article I saw on your website, uh, still so much animosity um, from Egyptian residents, Egyptian citizens, toward Israel? If we've had this peace agreement for so many decades, and it seems people like you, other Jewish leaders, certainly uh, the prime minister, are able to, to meet civilly with the president of Egypt. Um, look, the, 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 what did you see on our website? An article about the that despite this amazing relationship, quote-unquote, between CC and Jewish leadership... Oh, the polling about it, right. Correct. So uh, this was an issue we discussed, uh, that was discussed with the president. Uh, I didn't hear the part about the polling, which is true, that all the polls show that there still remains a high level of residual animosity. But he said that there is a, a major shift in, in the press and in other things. You know that he changed the textbooks, unlike what's going on in Gaza, where the textbooks are getting worse. And we have, ev- we have, we have evidence of the change? There's real evidence of the change? He says yes. Uh, I know what the polling says, but he said that there is a real change. He said that the, the – and has said to me in the past that, you know, the issue of the Palestinian thing, until it's resolved, that that is a major obstacle to moving forward. Uh, in, in there and in other Arab countries, because it's a street issue, it's a, they appeal to the street, and you know it's an issue of pride, it's an issue of identification uh, with fellow Arabs. Even though you know in many other cases there such identification, solidarity is quite absent. Uh, but you know it's true in Morocco, it's true in Jordan, it's true in all the Arab countries where the percentage of those who express hostile uh, sentiments is in the 80 and 90 percentiles. So it's it's a long term thing which which involves changing things from the ground up, meaning the education process, meaning the what goes on in the media, and we have seen changes there, but it takes a long time till it permeates society. And when you have you still have Muslim Brother, you have a lot of extremist forces who, who rant against Israel. But he, he talked about the role of Al Azhar, which is the intellectual center, religious center in, in Cairo for all of the Muslim world. Uh, becoming a vehicle for pr- promoting moderation, which he has tried to do uh, in in Egypt. And as I said, the textbooks acknowledged the peace process, the peace agreement at Camp David, uh, which previously was not the case. And you contrast that with what is happening in the PA, which refused the, the entreaties of of UNESCO uh, and to impose their standards for peace and tolerance, and the, the PA curricula does not do that at all. And in fact, if we've seen anything, that it moved uh, to a more, a more greater degree of radicalization uh, of young Palestinians. And this was devised by the ministry, overseen by the ministry. And, um, and it talks about, you know, the maps show uh, the Arab Palestine encompassing all of Israel, including all of Israel. Yeah, when I and, asked when I asked about evidence, I'm I'm curious if anybody actually saw the textbooks, <laughs> like because yes, 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 right, that's absolutely, what I mean, right. of course. Because often you know they'll say something and make claims, and no, uh, no, this is not claims from him. This is uh, statements that were in the Israeli press from people who got actually hold of the textbooks, and you know they're monitored. We study these things because this is 
how you shape the minds of the next oh, yeah. the, the next generation, and it's it's horrific, and that's why the PA paying money to to the uh, ter- terrorists is encouraging them. It's giving the hechsher to it. It's 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 um, authorizing people to kill because they know their families will receive. They will receive if they get killed, then the families get it. By the way, uh, I, I saw the Knesset you know proposal to to make it illegal. I, I can't believe it's not officially illegal yet. Well, this is to take the money out of the budget. It's not the question that it's not legal. Of course, it's illegal, but it's uh, it, but it's to take the money out of the budget. It's it's a parallel measure to the Taylor for- Force Law, which is before the Congress of the United States now. And I hope everybody will write their congressmen to support it, which says that we don't take away all the money from the PA because now, uh, Israelis and others have opposed it because it will co- cause a collapse and the burden fall on Israel as the power there. But the the, uh, they will take away the amount of money that the PA spends on these, you know, benefits. Um, and, understood. And all and, sorts and, of pensions. In other words, the money that Israel is supposed to transfer to the PA from that would right. be deducted. Oh, now I in, okay. I didn't understand that. Now I got it. Um, actually, that'd be great. I'm fascinated by the, by your ability to, or your cap, your um, opportunity, I should say, to to discuss you know different things openly with Sisi. What does he say to you about Gaza? What does he say to you about the Hamas stronghold there and the influence of Iran and others in that region? I actually asked him that. That's funny. Uh, and um, you know, he spoke about the the powers that are some that are are meddling in the in the region. It was an obvious reference. I think to Iran and, and Turkey, uh, you know, he's very concerned about the radicalization there and what what is going to happen there. And and I asked him also, I mean, how can you push a peace process in a summit? Who's going to represent Gaza? Are you going to do it with half the Palestinians and you know just the West Bank and not with Gaza? And he, he spoke about it, and uh, you know, it was an off the record meeting, so I don't want to quote anything that he said, but the. You know, he takes it very seriously, and he is fighting it. He has done a great deal, he, and he spoke about his efforts to close the tunnels and other things, to, to uh, and they restrict entry of weapons. They, they've done a great deal to try and change the situation. Because the problem is that you have the Iranians developing ways to bypass it, providing more and more advanced missiles that are smuggled in. Some of it gets caught. Uh, by Israel, by them, by the Egyptians, uh, but most of, much of it doesn't. You know, they drop off these pods from ships that then uh, Palestinian fishermen pick up. So the Israeli Navy patrols and catches it sometimes, but not all the time. Has Hamas, in fact, as they claim, uh, softened their position on Israel in their revised charter? No. It, 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 they, you know, create this fiction that they that they have somehow moderated it, but the fact is, it still does not recognize the right of Israel or Israel's existence. By the way, you know, back to Syria for a moment, and I think this is related to an extent. The subway bombing in Saint Petersburg. So, is that an Al Qaeda attack? Is that uh, is, is that you know the, those anti Assads who are trying to uh, uh, you know uh, bring terrorist action to Russia? What, what what was that all about? And was it in fact linked to that whole situation? We don't know. I, I certainly don't know. And, uh, you know, we've heard all sorts of accusations. There are internal forces, uh, and you have Chechens, you have uh, um, people from the Caucasus uh, who belong to radicalized groups, radicalized Muslim groups. Russia has a huge problem with this, and, and a large part of their military officer corps now are Muslims. Uh, and I, I spoke to Putin about this in 1998 when he was head of the KGB already. Uh, uh, and then, and he spoke about it with great 
intensity and, and fervor about the danger this poses to to, um, to Russia, and he said, by the way, to Israel also. So the, I, I don't know, you know, yet that they have tracked it down more than to this uh, individual and whatever support group he had. You think there's uh, contact between Israel and Russia today? Absolutely. E- even in light of what happened yesterday? Yes, I think that there is ongoing contact uh, it's necessary it doesn't have to be it's not necessarily as warm as some people have uh, painted to be but uh, I, I can tell you in the past where what Putin said to us about his feelings about Israel connection the fact that a million Russian Jews are there that he feels it's part of Russia and his obligation to defend it but I don't know that all his actions would actually support that that conclusion Could you? Uh, yeah. Could you clarify what he really said, or what whatever wh- whoever it was that said uh, that West Jerusalem should be the capital of Israel? Uh, I don't understand the euphoric reaction to this, and the people, you know, called me and said, "Wow, did you see what the Russians said?" And I said, "We well, got to read the whole thing." To, to me, there was a more remarkable thing, which I'll tell you in a minute. But it says that East Jerusalem belongs to the Palestinian state. Right which means all the holy places, everything. It doesn't have any qualification. It does say direct negotiations to, should determine the outcome, but it says that as we recognize East Jerusalem as the capital, we also have to acknowledge West Jerusalem. But nobody disputes that West Jerusalem is part of Israel. They don't put the embassies there they don't uh, because they lump it all together, but th- there is no challenge to that. So this is not a helpful declaration. What is interesting to me is there's no reference to settlements. Mm, good point. And and nobody's picked up on that, but if you read that whole statement, and it's not that long, and it's uh, put out by the foreign ministry, and it says regarding Palestinian-Israeli settlement, um, and they said that there have been unilateral moves that undermine the potential for accepted international solution. They, they do put all of this back to the Security Council and uh, their role as member of the quartet, etc., um, and that they will continue to help achieve this because they don't want to see the United States being the prime uh, sponsor now that the United States is back in the game, right? Uh, this is a response to that. And I had asked you this a couple of weeks ago because the uh, you know the way things look, uh, some of the parties in the quartet are going to go out of their way to try to stay involved. Uh, Absolutely, especially watching how President Trump deals with different things, and you know, likely would want the United States to broker whatever it is that he has in mind. And well, I, we'll have to see whether the, if people want to be engaged, like the Europeans, then they should stop giving all this money to to the illegal construction on, in the West Bank, not in settlements, but the Arab illegal construction, which is dwarfs, I think, the construction in Jewish areas. Um, I think that they have to stop supporting the, the NGOs that work against the government of Israel. I think that they have a, a lot that they should do to prove that they are worthy of being part of of a process and the failure to in England to really go after the head of the the former head of the Labour Party and you know these mild slap on the wrist is is really uh, indicative of these guys who are are really viciously anti-Israel. Well, I don't know if that's and maybe anti-Semitic. Yeah, possibly. Um, who, who from Israel proves to them? I mean, is someone fighting the case? Is someone is someone sending folders full of uh, of documents that prove the illegal building that you're referring to? Sure, uh, it's well known. It was the government of Israel that said it. They issued a formal statement this week about it. Um, by the way, the PA cut the salaries of fifty thousand employees in Gaza this week. Who, these are people who haven't worked since two thousand seven, when Hamas took over. 
So they've been paying the salaries of these 50,000 police, former policemen and teachers and civil servants. So now they say, you haven't worked for 10 years, we're going to start cutting your salaries. The impact of that is going to be interesting because they are a lot of the purchasing power in, in Gaza itself. But it's another one of those developments that gets almost no, no attention. So essentially they've run out of money. And right, if they, if, they, if they wouldn't have run out of money, they wouldn't be doing that, correct? I, that, that is my assumption, is that this is um, part of the belt tightening because of the money that is being withheld for, because of the Taylor Force type laws and other things. Right. All right. So uh, in review, how do the majority of countries in the Middle East now view the United States? Can one episode like this completely change the impression of what they think is going to be coming from Washington? Oh, it has a big impact, but they're not certain because they don't know, they don't see yet a government completely in place. You know, there's so many jobs are open and that the infighting that continues, and we saw it this week again, um, that those are the, that those factors are things that you hear discussed. Uh, when they come to meet, it's, it's primarily the president they see and sometimes the vice president, but it's, it's not yet, uh, I think, at the level where they're getting extensive policy uh, discussions. And you didn't see, for instance, with Abbas, uh, King Abdullah or with President Sisi, as I recall, any talk, for instance, of major increases in foreign aid or other responses to, to their needs. Was it, um, I mean, what type of encounter was it with King Abdullah? I know that there was, it was right in the midst of the whole situation with Syria, and that distracted things a bit when he was at the White House, but uh, was there anything significant that was uh, mentioned or brought up between him and the president? Yes. First of all, they're, they're dealing with uh, their internal problems, first and foremost. He, he, the king said that the Israeli-Palestinian thing is underpinning the region, but in fact, they talk about, he has to talk about the million and a half Syrian refugees he has, and still the hundreds of thousands of Iraqis, the situation on his border with Hamas and uh, with, with uh, Hezbollah and others, uh, al-Nusra, uh, Al-Qaeda on, on his borders, threatening him from both the Iraqi border and the Syrian border. Um, he has, faces tremendous problems of, of instability in the region. So I think those were the primary issues. And obviously, he, he, he wants more money. He does get the second largest foreign aid allocation. It's $1.7 billion. Uh, After Israel, I assume. Yes, after Israel. Um, all right, couple of messages. Um, uh, the first is, I guess, that uh, people should keep in mind that there's a major celebration that we're ready to have May the 24th, and that's the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. And I hope that people, as they sit down Monday night to the Seder, have an opportunity to discuss with their families when they say, L'Shana Abab Yushalayim, maybe actually celebrating Jerusalem this year and now uh, and being there at the 50th. You have never um, shied away from... Uh, uh, what some might think overstating the importance of being in Jerusalem for celebrations like this and actually finding the time to celebrate as opposed to mourn, which we seem to be very good at. So that's number one, is the uh, is the big celebration coming up for the 50th anniversary on the 24th of May. Absolutely. Very important. I think there will be a lot of things for people to see and participate in. At uh, They're going to end at Harazetim uh, with a very important event on that Thursday, the 25th, I think. So people should join and go to, to the RZA, to Mizrahi uh, websites, and sign up. Mizrahi.org slash YY50. And lastly, Mr. Honline, Monday night is an opportunity for people to do what I ask them to do all year round, which is to discuss with their children and grandchildren not only past events, and we know, believe you me, 
um, how important past events are on Monday night when it comes to Leil Haseder. Obviously, that's what dominates the evening. But maybe a minute or two or more on the events of the day and sharing with future generations what is happening in this world, what's going on, what our role is, and uh, how so many things that uh, many people unfortunately ignore have to have attention paid to them. I think it's it, you know, the part of the fulfillment of the mitzvah of Magid of talking about things is to make it relevant to young people, especially kids, about what it means today. And so much in the Haggadah is about today's events, about how do you face up to the BDS anti-Semitism, to the other challenges that we have faced uh, throughout, the, throughout the generation. And especially the Hishamda and Seul Ahmad, where it talks about what Love and Arami wanted to do to us. And there's an interesting commentary that tells us that, uh, that, that first of all, the Ramban says that, that this is always a foretelling uh, of the events from our forefathers for what we face. They're always symbolic. They, they foretell the future of the Jewish people, not just the past. And Yaakov faced three tests of uh, Esav and Laban and Yosef. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. People have to sit and learn it themselves. But Esav wanted to murder Yaakov, and we have faced that many times when they try to kill us. Laban tried to sever the connection to Torah and mitzvahs. We've seen that many times, the communists, etc., etc., and others followed that, that lead. But the trial of Yosef is even worse than Esav and Lavan because Yosef was sold because of Sina, uh, the Sina, the hatred, the internal strife between brothers between within our community. And those conflicts that tear us apart are more destructive yeah. than the worst decree that others can put upon us. So I think uh, all of us should think about it at a time when we have all these tensions and we see so much the internal divisiveness that uh, we lost the base of Mikdash because of the uh, the baseless hatred, so much suffering, and it continues to rend our community, uh, that we should think about that also, that we have, each of us has a responsibility to defeat that enemy of the Jewish people. Great message. I do remind everybody that next week on Chol HaMoed, we will not have a weekly update, but two weeks from today, the Friday after Pesach, we are scheduled to again present the weekly update uh, starting at the 7.40 Eastern time right here at JMNAM. I take this opportunity to wish you, Mr. Honline, a Chai Kosher V'Sameach, and uh, enjoy your Yontav out there in California. In San Diego, we look forward to it, and I want to wish everybody a Chai Kosher V'Sameach and a really meaningful Sedarim. Don't rush through them. Talk about the things. It's a great chance you got your kids at the table. Talk to them about, uh, and to your parents, about all of these things. No question about it. Thank you so much. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update on this Erev Shabbos Haggadol at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good morning, Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Tzav. Parshas Tzav, according to the Chinuch, contains 18 mitzvos, 9 positive, 9 restrictions. We continue with the details of the Korbanos. Before we move on, we must point out that this Shabbos has a special designation to it. 
It is Shabbos HaGadol, the Shabbos before Pesach has and enjoys that very special name. It comes ostensibly from the last Pasuk of the Haftorah. The last verse in the Navi, the prophet who was the last prophet, his name was Malachi, and his last verse is, could you imagine knowing you're the last prophet, and you're going to tell the people something to keep their spirits going literally till the end of day. And what is that? Says the Navi, God promises, strong word, that I'm going to send to you a Leo Anovi when Elijah the prophet is going to come, literally, to announce the coming of that great day, the day of the coming of Moshiach. There are 13 principles of faith enumerated by the Rambam, and the 12th is I believe with perfect faith, that the Moshiach, Messiah, will come. Elio Anavi, we are told at the end of the Haftorah, will announce, herald the coming of Moshiach. And our rabbis tell us, why is it called Shabbos HaGadol? Because of the great miracles which took place on this day. This is the day, the year that we left Egypt, we left Egypt on a Thursday. Thursday was the 15th of Nisan. The 10th of Nisan was on a Shabbos that year. And the Torah says that on the 10th of Nisan, we were to designate the Paschal Lamb. What does that mean? We took a lamb, we tied it to our bedposts. As a result, the lamb clearly made noise. The Egyptians would pass, hear the noise, and say, what are you doing with our God? Because they worshipped the Lamb. And the Jews said, we are going to slaughter your Lamb, your God, in a few days, on the afternoon of the 14th. And the Egyptians were powerless to retaliate. One miracle. Second of all, the rabbis tell us that Moshe came and warned Paro and the Egyptian people that the tenth plague would be coming and the firstborn would be killed. The firstborn of Egypt saw that Moshe's track record was perfect and therefore they got very nervous. They petitioned Paro to free the slaves, and Paro refused. And therefore, the rabbis tell us that on this day, there was a civil war, whereby, as we say in Psalm 136, known as Halil Hagado, Hodl Hashem Kitov, which we will be saying, please God, this coming Monday night and Tuesday night, after the Hallel HaMitzri, after we complete the Hallel, as part of the Hallel section at the end of the Seder. So we say, 
Lemake Mitzrayim Biv Literally, we are giving thanks to Hashem who smote Egypt through their firstborn. What does that mean, through the firstborn? Meaning, the firstborn said to Paro, free them. Paro said no, and there was a civil war amongst the Egyptians, and many, many were killed out by themselves. And so, this is the Shabbos, a, before Pesach, the Shabbos of preparation, as they prepared, we are preparing in every which way. Many have the practice of reading the Haggadah on this Shabbos afternoon. This Shabbos afternoon, the Rav in the community gives a special Jerusha, reminding the people about all the various obligations that we do before Pesach. Make sure that you sell your chametz. Make sure that you are going to get rid of your chametz. Um, the preparation of kashering for Pesach and the extensive change over from chametz to uh, Pesach. Um, all this is studied and very often the rabbi takes a topic which both halachically, philosophically, he elucidates. I'd like to share one of those topics with you briefly this morning, and that is as follows. The, there are two biblical mitzvos that we have that are unique to the night of the Pesach Seder. The first one is Sipur Yitzias Mitzrayim, which according to the Chinuch is the 21st mitzvah of the Torah to tell over the story of the Exodus. And the second biblical mitzvah is to eat matzah. Now, the question is, when it comes to the eating of matzah, women are obligated to eat matzah. Why is that? Technically speaking, they should be exempt because it's a positive mitzvah which is governed by time. Be'erev tochlu matzos. You are to eat matzah on this night, the night of the Pesach Seder. So the Talmud tells us that this is based upon the juxtaposition of the verse that we're going to read on the last day of Pesach, coming from the book of Devarim, coming from Pashas Re'eh. This is in chapter 16, and it is Pasuk 3, where the Torah says you're not to eat chametz from the time of the Korban Pesach, which is why we stop eating chametz not at the evening on this coming Monday night. From the Torah, you can eat until mid the day. The rabbis moved it up two hours earlier in the New York area, approximately 10.22. So the Torah says, don't eat chametz, and Go on, says the Pasuk, you are to eat matzah, which leads the rabbis to conclude whoever is prohibited from eating chametz is obligated to eat matzah. And therefore, since women are obligated in the restriction, they can't eat chametz, they must eat matzah. So the mitzvah of eating matzah is clearly for men and women. The question is, what about the mitzvah of telling the story of Sipur Yitzias Mitzrayim? So interestingly, the Chinuch, in Mitzvah 21, as we know, his style is, he concludes most every mitzvah by telling us that this mitzvah applies to men and or, or just men, just women, just to the Sanhedrin, etc. And he concludes and he says, V'noheges b'schorim u'v'nekevos. 
This mitzvah applies to male and female. All over, at every time, every generation, all Israel is obligated in this mitzvah of Sipor Yetzias Mitzrayim to tell the story. Now, interestingly, the Minchas Chinuch, the commentary on the Chinuch, challenges the Chinuch and says, Excuse me, I find this to be, he says, very, very strange. Why? Why should they be obligated? It should be a mitzvah saseh, shazman grama, a positive mitzvah which women are exempt. And the Rambam, in uh, when he tells us the list in chapter 12 of the laws of Akum, which positive mitzvahs women are obligated, so he lists Kiddush Hayom, which is the Kiddush every Friday night, eating matzah, eating the Korban Pesach, the mitzvah of Simcha, and the mitzvah of Hakel. And that's it. He doesn't list this mitzvah here of Sipur Itzias Mitzrayim. So there is an interesting machlokes between the Chinuch and the Minchas Chinuch. I'd like to perhaps just buttress and explain both sides. Perhaps you can explain the chinuch as to why women are obligated from the Torah. Number one, because of that very famous afhein hoyu ba'oso hanes. Now, the Gemara tells us in several places, but in Megillah Davdalid, that women are obligated in the reading of the Megillah, they're obligated in lighting their Hanukkah, and they're obligated in the four cups of wine, because they too were included in the miracle. And as Tosfos quotes the Rajbam, not simply included, but they were the ones, and I hope we'll have a chance to speak about this at the end for a few moments, they're the ones that actually help implement, you know, the miracle. Now, the question is, does this reason of because they were involved in the miracle, is this only enough to obligate them on a rabbinic level, or would it work on a uh, biblical level as well? So the first way we can explain, according to the Chinuch, is that they too were involved in this miracle, and therefore they too are obligated on a Torah level. Perhaps you can say differently. We're all familiar with the teaching in the Gemara Psachim, whereby we're taught that Rabbi Gamliel taught whoever did not say these three right uh, things, whoever did not explain these three things, Gemara Psachim, Kufte Zayin Amabez, Koshloam Ashloshad Varm Elbe Pesach, Loyotzi de Chovaso, Pesach, Matzah, and Moror. You have to explain these three. The Rambam learns that the explain, explanation of these three constitutes what? Haggadah. And so this is part of the Sipuit Siyas Mitzrayim. And I just bring this to everybody's attention that nobody should be walking out of the Seder during the explanation of Pesach, Matzah, and Moror. Not the men, not the women, etc. Now, the Ramban learns this teaching of Rabbi Gamliel differently. He says that if you don't explain the Pesach Matzah and Moror, 
you don't satisfy your obligation completely of the eating of these foods. So, in other words, if one just ate matzah without explaining matzah zoo and giving the explanation why we eat this matzah, that we were chased out of Egypt and we didn't have a chance for our uh, bread to rise, etc., then we did not satisfy our obligation of eating matzah in its entirety. So the matzah is not enough. If you eat it, you have to explain it. Therefore, women who are obligated in eating of matzah to everybody, very possibly, according to the Ramban, would be obligated in the explanation of the matzah, which is part and parcel of Sipo Yitzias Mitzrayim, because it goes together with the eating thereof. Now, interestingly, the Tosvos in Sukkah, Taflamet Ches Amad Aleph, says that even though the mitzvah of Halel is one, that women are exempt all year long, if they'd like to, they can say it, Ashkenazic women with a bracha, Sephardi women without a bracha, but they're not obligated in Halil. It's a positive mitzvah governed by time. Yet on the night of the Pesach Seder, says Tosvos, since they're obligated to drink the four cups, and the four cups are not just four random drinkings, you just can't begin your Seder by drinking one, two, three, four cups, and you satisfied your obligation. No, these are four cups, as the Talmud explains on the bottom of Kuftez Zayin, Amid Beis, in Psachim, that these are four cups that accompany four mitzvos, the mitzvah of Kiddush, the mitzvah of completing the Haggadah, the Magid part, the mitzvah of Birkas Amazon, and the mitzvah of Halel, therefore, says Tosvos, once they are obligated in four cups, they're obligated in that which accompanies the four cups. Namely, Tosvos there speaks about Halel, and the Chaye um, Adam in Simon Kuflamid, Sivkot and Yud Beis, applies this precisely to the Magid, that once they're obligated in the second cup, which accompanies the conclusion of the Haggadah, the Magid part, therefore they are obligated not just to drink the wine, but to recite the Haggadah as well. So there's no question about it, that women are obligated to recite the Haggadah. Can a woman fulfill the obligation of a man. If the man can't, can she be motzi him? That would be the practical difference between the Sefer HaChinuch, who says yes, and the Minchas Chinuch, who says not. I just would like to point out a very, very significant concept, that when Tosfos points out that when we're told that women are obligated in lighting their Hanukkah because women were included, says the Rashbam, doesn't mean included. It means that Yehudis, the daughter of Yochanan Kohen Gadol, was the one that actually started the rebellion. Women are obligated to read the Megillah because Esther is the one who was the great implementer of, clearly, bringing about the salvation of the Jewish people. 
And finally, women are obligated to drink three cups, the four cups of wine, because of Bischus Noshim Tzidkonios, because of the righteous women in Egypt, we were privileged to be redeemed. What does that mean? It means that the righteous women in Egypt, Lo Nisyashu Menagu'ula, they did not ever give up hope. The men said, why bring children into this world? The men were too tired. The men, both physically and spiritually and mentally, and it was the women who, as we say in Shira Shirim, and as you prepare the different foods that go into the charoses, the different fruits, and we use apple because we're understanding the verse from Shira Shirim, Tachasatapuach Orartich, I aroused you under the apple tree, with understanding Tapuach as modern day Hebrew referring to the apple. However, there are many that point out that in the days of Shlomo Amelech, there were no apple trees in Israel, but the apple referred to a citrus fruit, and therefore you should have some lemon or a tangy uh, taste to the, you know, charoses. But it's a reminder to us of the incredible emuna of the women. And very possibly emuna and aim, mother, that the faith that we received from our women in Mitzrayim is what kept us going then. And I just want to say that not only should they be acknowledged for their incredible work in preparation of this Yom Tov in a most physical sense, but having spoken a few years ago with Rabbi Fass, the head of Nefesh Benefesh, and I asked him, tell me, you interview so many couples who are, thank God, going on Aliyah. Would you say that it's approximately half and half in this particular family, it was the man, and another particular family, it was the women, but no necessarily one more than the other. And he thought, no, he thought that more often than not, it was the women. Beno Slavchad, our rabbis say, not just they had love for Eretz Yisrael, they represent the Jewish women that Benos Yisrael, not just Benos Slavchad, had this incredible love for Eretz Yisrael. And so, as we go into this Yom Tov, we say a very special thank you to the Jewish women for not only doing so much to prepare our home physically, but indeed continuing to prepare our home spiritually, preparing us for the ultimate Geula Shlema, wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom and a very special Shabbos Hagodol.
check it out and celebrate Cause every day and the morrow they remind me Just how hard we worked in slavery What's on the Seder plate? Check it out and celebrate I see the Chorot set, it reminds me of the bricks we built before we were free It reminds me that once we were slaves and now we are free. What's on the Seder plate? Check it out and celebrate. I see the Zroa. It reminds me of the Korban Pesach we used to see. It reminds me of the temple that one day we'll see. What's on the Seder plate? Check it out and celebrate. Passover, it's so great. We'll sing the song day one through day eight. J.M. in the A.M. What's on the Seder plate? That's Schlockrock, of course, here at J.M. in the A.M. Uh, Lenny is amazing. Hadrash Varayon before that with Chad Gadya. Remember that song? Came out many, many years ago. Erev Shabbos uh, Hagadol, Erev Shabbos Parshas Tzav, candlelighting 7.07, official J.M. in the A.M. candlelighting time in New York. 7.07, official J.M. in the A.M. candlelighting time in New York. <laughs> Make sure you know we're when candlelighting is wherever you are. And thanks for listening in from around the world. It is much appreciated, to say the least, that you're listening in from around the world. And thanks for all the app comments, etc. Twelve minutes before um, uh, 9 o'clock on this Erev Shabbos HaGadol, getting closer and closer to Pesach. Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis. Monday, it's JM in the AM with Matis. Join Matis for all the uh, Sunday and Monday uh, programming uh, building up until we get to... Um, until we get to uh, the uh, holiday of Pesach on Monday night. And um, wishing everybody, of course, a wonderful and incredible holiday. More coming up at JM in the AM. Here's Ohad.
Lighting at 7.07 in New York. It's Erev Shabbos Haggadol, everybody. I thank you for joining us, being part of this great radio experience. Don't forget, as you gather with family during the holiday of Pesach and Shabbos Haggadol, uh, bring up the uh, the big day coming up on May 24th. May 24th is the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem, the 28th of ER. And uh, we are hoping that thousands from around the world converge on Jerusalem that day and that week to celebrate and to be part of an incredible experience. It's Mizrahi.org slash YY50. Mizrahi.org 
slash YY50. Do what you can to at least send a representative of your family, your organization, your school, your school, your group, your men's club, your sisterhood, at least a representative to be there uh, for the big day and let them come back and report how incredible it was. That's one way of staying connected and being part of all the action. Mizrahi.org slash YY50. Mizrahi.org slash YY50. Time to say good Shabbos. Journeys on this Erev Shabbos Haggadol at JM in the AM.
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com. On the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. That's right. And thank you to everybody listening in from around the world on the app and whatever other method you're using to listen. It's so much appreciated. Naomi Nachman, an encore presentation of the Table for Two program is coming up next. Then it's the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos Music Mix all day long, including Mark Zomik's live lunch at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Saturday night, Siegel tomorrow night with Avrami. Mat is Sunday morning and Monday morning. Sunday between 7 and 9 with JM Sunday Live. Monday between 6 and 9 with JM the AM Erev Pesach Live. Thank you, Matis. Have a fabulous Shabbos, and I will say now, have a Chag Kosher V'Sameach. Till next time, Malcolm Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.